Money FM 89.3, the best of the breakfast huddle. The bigger picture, only on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's the Breakfast Huddle. Elliot Danker and Ryan Huang with you. It's time now for the bigger picture. And where the bigger picture is concerned this year, Ryan, as we head into FOMC, mm. it's a case of trying to make sense of uh, the macroeconomic conditions. You know, what kind of uh, returns can I possibly get from this? Uh, when will I start seeing a more stable picture? Where do I turn my attention to? Yeah, that's a good question, right? When when you look at the headlines these days, you see layoffs, talk about recession around the corner. Things are rather uncertain and to some extent we are seeing perhaps a slowdown. So investors are asking, where can I get the best returns or at least in some cases the best predictable returns and they seem to be flocking to infrastructure assets. So that seems to be the way to go if you go by one of the sovereign wealth trackers, Global SWF. They have named infrastructure as the industry of the year in their annual report released earlier this month. Let's unpack it with Lion Global Chief Investment Strategist Lim Yun. Morning Lim Yun. How are you doing today? Hi, hi. Good. Thanks for having me. Hey, let's uh, talk about infrastructure assets first. It seems like that is getting more traction as we see investors try to figure out where to park their cash this year. What are you seeing right now when you talk to your clients? Yeah, I think you have brought up a, a very good point. You know, if you take a step back last year, you know, it was a very special year or, or should I say a, a sad year because, you know, the usual 60-40, 70-30 kind of uh, asset allocation actually didn't do very well as uh, both equities and uh, fixed income, meaning bonds, actually declined. So, well, I I guess just now you mentioned about the report talking about this interest in infrastructure projects or should I say assets that are gaining interest. Well, the the investors are actually seeing that as an alternative asset with uncorrelated returns to equities and fixed incomes Mm. or, or should I say bonds, right? So meaning that, you know, since last year, both equities and bonds have declined, but infrastructure projects could actually give you a more stable cash flow. So investors are now looking at that as as an alternative asset class uh, for them to get uncorrelated uh, returns and and they are increasing their investments over there. So you have rightly pointed out, but, you know, that's it. You know, not all infrastructure projects are, are created the same, right? So, you know, broadly speaking, you know, you could be looking at things like uh, airports, you could look at toll roads, you know, even uh, independent power producers and so on and so forth. A lot of these projects have do have a stable cash flow. Uh, some may not or, or may be actually affected by the, should I say, you know, economic growth uh, patterns out there. For this year, I think investors are particularly interested in uh, some, some of these infrastructure projects like airports, right? You know, especially with the reopening of the of China. So you could actually expect tourism to actually to recover and some of these operators to actually do fairly well. Yeah, so it seems like investors are trying to, in some sense, diversify to uncorrelated assets because there seem to be so many wild cards um, that seem to pop up. And last year, for example, the Ukraine war was uh, one big episode that really shook markets. So who knows what's going to be happening down the road this year. And talking about infrastructure, you talked about how you know, it's not a homogeneous in a sense. Infrastructure can be different depending on where you look. Also in mm. terms of markets as well. Where do you see Chinese property markets right now? Do they form a part of the story when it comes to infrastructure? Well, for the Chinese market, you know, I, I guess investors probably would know that uh, the, you know, there's this uh, property slump in China. This is 
due to the regulatory tightening there in, in China. But since uh, end of last year, you know, to be more specific, November of last year, the Chinese government has actually announced a lot of uh, measures, very comprehensive measures uh, to actually support the property market. So these have actually included, uh, let's say, you know, financing to developers, you know, financing for project completion and so on and so forth. So the, the general picture over there is actually pretty positive now. But that said, right, I guess, you know, the, you know, the important thing is whether, you know, you, you see a, a recovery in home buyers' uh, confidence and, mm. and we have yet to have seen that. And so for actually real demand to meaningfully improve, uh, no, it, it still takes a little bit of time. I, I guess uh, one issue is that, you know, the current COVID cases are still high, uh, but the government over there, you know, Chinese government has actually relaxed on their, on their COVID uh, restrictions. So you should actually see buyers coming back into the market as such that there could actually be a, you know, a recovery in the Chinese property market and, and that could actually be a good investment opportunity. Yeah, you, the last time we talked about good opportunities last month, you were quite optimistic on Chinese and Japanese investment opportunities. So yes, in the past yes. month, have you seen more traction and more indicators around the Chinese growth story? Oh, yes, of course. But that's it, right? The current hard data, or should I say, you know, the current data itself, you, you should, uh, we are already seeing some improvement over there. But the real improvement should come at the second half of the year because, you know, Brian, you know, you know the re- reopening story itself, you know, it comes in stages, right? And uh, the other thing is that, you know, when mobility actually recovers, co- uh, cases goes up, but, you know, people, the confidence is not there yet as, as we have actually experienced in Singapore also. So when the cases go up, people, are, you know, it's not because of restriction itself, but people self-restrict themselves at home, right? Mm-hmm. So the consumption numbers may not recover so quickly. Uh, that said, right, our expectation is that, you know, there should be full re- uh, reopening by the end of March to April period. And subsequently, you should see both consumption and industrial activities recover. So, well, the numbers will come later part of the year, but uh, that said, you know, it is uh, markets are actually pricing in forward. So you could actually see a very strong we, we have already seen a strong rally from November last year, and, and, and that rally has actually continued into January of this year. Yeah, that's an interesting point, uh, Yun, when you talk about the rebound that you might be seeing in the later part of this year. What does that mean for inflation? Because we are also expecting the Fed at some point to ease up on its rate hikes. Mm, yeah, that's a very good point. I, I think the inflation comes in uh, a few uh, areas, one of which could be the recovery of infrastructure projects right in China. So that could actually, you know, mean higher demand for the base metal, so in, including uh, uh, copper and so on and so forth. On the second part would actually be on uh, the energy front. So, you know, when recovery in the mobility there takes place, people drive more, fly more and so on and so forth. So demand for oil would uh, go up. There's some expectation or some estimates out there that uh, it could actually, you know, increase or uh, China's demand could actually increase by 1.5 million barrels per day hmm. uh, in terms of oil demand. Uh, so how does that actually translate into inflation globally? I think there are some estimates, these are very rough estimates probably, it, you know, it, it could actually uh, bring up inflation by 1% to 2%. Oh, okay. Something to watch out for. And one more thing, talking about investor confidence. Um, We've got in the headlines what's happening to Adani. A short seller, Hindenburg, has come up with a scathing report how it has been 
apparently manipulating many of his numbers and inflating his profits and just inflating his share price along the way. There is now this back and forth going on. How much is this affecting the wider confidence among investors in the Indian stock market right now? Well, I, I think the damage is already done, right? So the, the company obviously would say, you know, that, uh, you know, that they will be disputing uh, the claims by the Hindenburg uh, report yeah. itself. But you, you, you could actually see the MSCI India uh, index underperform, underperforming the broader indexes, indices out there. So the damage is already done. One thing that, you know, you, you can, can think of is this, right? The Adani Group has got, you know, it's, it has a lot of its debt coming from offshore borrowing, meaning, you know, they raise the debt from uh, overseas, right? So you can imagine that, you know, foreign investors are now under pressure uh, to actually to relook at, at their due diligence processes, you know. So this this case or this issue actually exposes, you know, the corporate governance issues in India also or the potential uh, corporate governance issues, right? So meaning that, you know, investors will now relook at their investment processes and this could actually extend to other Indian offshore debt issuers. Uh, so the damage is probably already done, right, both for the equities and, uh, and for the fixed income world. Um, so one of the, the issue, at least for the short term, could be, you know, a lack of uh, funds uh, flowing into the uh, Indian market. And you probably know that the, the, you know, India is actually running at a current account deficit. Maybe the estimate will be a 3.5% of uh, their GDP. And, and with this uh, fund, this lack of funds, you, know, you, you could actually see pressure on uh, the Indian rupee. So, you know, the, the impact is actually on uh, many fronts itself. It doesn't really help that, you know, the Indian market is actually quite expensive. So if you look at the, the valuations, it's uh, 20 times, uh, well, next 12 months, uh, PER ratio or price earnings ratio. And you compare to other markets like China, 11, 12 times, you know. So if the Indian equities is really expensive and, and uh, it's, it's not great, right, at this point in time where your valuations are high, investors are actually lo- losing confidence. So there, there could actually be continued uh, weakness in the Indian uh, uh, equities market due to this, uh, this report itself. Yeah, another reason to take money off the table. So lots of questions being asked. Hopefully we get answers soon. We've been chatting with Lim Yun. He is the Chief Investment Strategist for Lion Global. Thanks for your time, Lim Yun. Thank you. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.